Hey, Gordon. Yeah. Hey, it's Steve Waxman. How are you doing? I'm good. Oh, that's good. Where Where are you now? Are you in Toronto or are you in L.A.? I'm in Toronto. Oh, that's great. That's great. How have you, how have you been? Well, the wife and I are just sitting down here watching the, uh, the American election. It's like a, it, become, it becomes like a hobby <laughs> after a while. I, I, hope, <laughs> I hope I can be a pleasant distraction for just a few minutes. Yeah. <laughs> he said he hopes he can distract us for a few moments. Welcome to The Creationist, a podcast about people who create. I'm your host, Steve Waxman. Rush's Getty Lee called Gordon Lightfoot a timeless songwriter. Robbie Robertson of the band calls Gordon Lightfoot Canada's national treasure. His longtime friend, Bob Dylan, inducted Lightfoot into the Canadian Music Hall of Fame, calling him one of his favorite songwriters, and has often been quoted saying that when he hears a Gordon Lightfoot song, he wishes it would go on forever. Well, he's probably just have, having a little tongue-in-cheek problem. I, I was part, I, I was part party central for, for for a lot of, of him and a lot of his people back here in Toronto back in the seventies when they were in town, which was quite often. Yeah, like the Rolling Thunder review, we had a, we had we had a big party here at my house in Toronto for Rolling Thunder review and stuff like that. It, it was it was a great time. Okay, all modesty aside, Gordon Lightfoot is Canada's greatest songwriter. Period. Let me line list just a few of the songs from his incredible catalog. Early Morning Rain, The Canadian Railroad Trilogy, Carefree Highway, Sundown, If You Could Read My Mind, The Wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald. I mean, the list could just go on and on and on. His professional career began over 60 years ago, and his influence on songwriters is almost without equal, and he's still at it. In 2020, he released Solo, his 21st album, and he's hoping to get back out on the road with his band as soon as possible. I recently reached Gordon over the phone to see if I could get some insight into his songwriting process, and given how long he's been at it, I wanted to know if songwriting was still even fun for him. Yeah, it, you know, uh, it's fun if, if you see that it's gone somewhere that you like. And when you think about how would this go over in front of a crowd? And, and so you uh, you think about that for a while, and if it seems like it might have, it might have a chance that it might bite, you go ahead and finish it, and some of it you you don't finish, you know. But but you got to know that at least it's gonna that they're gonna like it, like they're gonna be able to make sense out of it. And even then, you only use one or two songs off an album, so you get the really the best ones that you could, that go the ones that got, that got the best forward momentum. How do you how do you determine that? Well, you, that's the feel, you know. You feel like it's got a, a beginning. It's got a, it's logical. It has an ending. You know, it, 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 it's got a, it's got a bridge, you know. You know, various different kinds of sections that you just, differing sections that you learn how to come up with through the years that uh, you can relate into other work that uh, that you're doing. You know, I have one song that has about five different sections in it. That would be the uh, Canadian Railroad Trilogy, I guess. Right. You know, uh, I, I also like to make sense with, the, with what I'm saying in my lyrics. I want it to make sense. Anything that doesn't make sense, I can't, I can't deal with it. I want, <laughs> I want the people to be able to make sense of it. I want them to be able to relate to it. I want them to, 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 to be able to get in contact. I want to feel with them when I'm 
performing these tunes on stage because everything I I write has got a possibility of going to be doing it on stage. But there's a lot of them that I should uh, sometimes say should be doing on stage, which which I'm not. But we have so much good stuff that uh, we, we're, we're sort of settled down to the cream of the crop, so to speak. So we work with about 42 to 45 songs. Uh, most of the time and for a show, we'd never need more than 26 tunes for a two-hour show or 24 for a 90-minute show uh, in a casino. See, and, and keep the, and try and keep all the rest of it in, in, in rotation around the, the, the 12 major, which you consider to be the 12, 14 songs that always should get done. Mm -hmm. People would be disappointed if they did not hear those 12 to 14 uh, important ones. What? And the rest of it's all in, in rotation around that. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's got to be sorted out in, beforehand with the some homework and thinking about stuff and I have about four different ch change-ups of shows that I am using right now. Do you consider songwriting a creative outlet or work? Yes, I do. I do consider it a, a, a creative outlet. Uh, I, I, I started a long time ago. I, I, I learned how to write music because I was a song writing songs and I didn't know how to write the, write the music down. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I went and took a, a course, took a, uh, took a notation course. Oh, where'd you do that? Uh, well, I did it, uh, in, I, I went stateside. I I, uh, I persuaded my parents to allow me to go to the school in the States where they, they taught a jazz course, a notation course, because I it was based on the keyboard. And uh, I went and did that. I, I, I stayed there for a year, and the state would have it. One of the very first jobs I got when I got back here to, to Canada was a job as a, as a, a copyist, a person who copies orchestra parts mm -hmm. from scores. And, uh, boy, I started thinking, geez, I'm sure glad I took that course. I, I was thinking because I wanted to learn how to write lead sheets because you had to write lead sheets to in order to register this stuff with the Library of Congress in Washington. Mm -hmm. They had to write it out, and, and the music, the chords, and, and, the, uh, uh, and the lyrics, those three things. You, you had to be able to commit those to manuscript. I didn't know how to do any of that in, uh, in high school yet. I was writing songs in high school, but I couldn't, I couldn't write or commit them to paper. And in those days, you had to. Nowadays, all you need is a is a CD, you know, just, mm -hmm. you don't have to write them out anymore. So a lot of people who write, write songs are, are, are really don't know how, how to write music, and that is not to, to, to call them short, because I'm not doing that, I'm not doing that at all, but a lot of songwriters actually don't, don't know how to write, write music, which is, it's fine by me, it's fine by each, it's whatever you need to do. I went and took a notation course so I could do it, because... It was my way of, of registering the material. And that was back like in 1962, 1963, way, way back then when I first started doing it, writing uh, by this time maybe 12, 15 songs by this point. And it was, I was building up a little, a little catalog. I, I really didn't have a deal and uh, I wanted to be able to write all this stuff down and I went learned how to do it. So, okay, so how old were you when you started writing songs? Well, I would be in grade 12. I would have been grade, I would have been 17. How did you go about figuring out how to write a song? Well, I, I wrote a topical song. 
it was it was about a fad. It was about a that was catching on just after the Korean War, the hula hoop. Okay. <laughs> I call it the hula hoop song. <laughs> about a guy who was trying to hula hoop. His kids are all doing it just great. All his kids, all they all know how to do it, but he can't learn how to hula hoop. To, you know, he just can't learn. I still can't learn how to hula hoop. I personally. You can keep trying. And uh, I read an article about it in the magazine. I said, geez, I said, I think I'll write a, a topical song about this hula hoop crazy. It was like, I at the same time, the, the time that Chubby Checker uh, invented the twist. Do you remember that era? Oh, of course. It, I mean, it's before my time, but I do know what you're talking about. Yeah. The dance, the twist. Absolutely. Chubby Checker. So I went to his club one time too, and, and while well, I was in New York, but that's that's another story. In the, in the meantime, I uh, I wrote this topical song about hula hooping, but this father who can't learn how to do it, and he's terribly frustrated about it. And all his children are all are all doing it, and he can't. And, and that was the tone of the whole song. And I, I I was so into it that I had just learned how to drive, and I. I uh, borrowed my father's car and brought it into Toronto and played it for the people at BMI Canada, the music publisher. And I mean, I had to find out where to go and who to see and do everything. I was like very, very entrepreneurial about this. And uh, they said, "Well, leave your name with the receptionist, and we'll call you." And did that? I did. I kept submitting tunes. Found out that they were uh, connected to Leeds Music. And when I got working with Leeds Music, I, I got working uh, for with an agent called Billy O'Connor Enterprises here in Toronto, and they found out that I was also a, a performer, not just a songwriter. And they started booking me to play in clubs and bars and nightclubs. So what what what, what year are you talking about that they started booking? Nineteen sixty-two. Was the hula hoop song a real like a fully realized song for you? Well, I mean, I, it, I, I, I certainly do remember the song. I mean, I, I quite often tell people that they, they'd have to, they'd have to waterboard me to get me to, to play it. <laughs> but, but I, I, I know the whole thing right, right from start to finish. He, he, uh, I, I, I use some, uh, some language at the end of the song that, where the people at BMI Canada said you shouldn't use words like that. And, in songs, I use the word slob. <laughs> I use the word slob, and and the, the the publishing guy said that's actually not a very good uh, a good word to put into a lyric. And and other than uh, like the the, the four letter word, <laughs> which you know, I, I thought it was okay. It was I guess I'm just a slob, and I'm going to lose my job because I'm hula hula hooping all the time. <laughs> I thought I was okay. I guess I'm just a slob, and I'm going to lose my job because I'm hula hula hooping all the time, and that was the last. That's him trying to catch up to his children, hula hooping, and I thought that was the neatest little idea. He, his response was, Don't, you shouldn't use that word. That was his advice. It, it, he liked the sign. That was a good a good try. There goes the hoop upon the floor. I guess it's been now like about 100 times or more. Uh, the hoop hula hoop has got me where it, 
it wants me and I'm slowly going nuts. Uh, I see the kids on the street getting the best of me. I'm really beat. I used to be a hero to my kids, but now I'm nothing but a square because I can't hula hoop at all. Then comes the bridge. He says, the, the publisher said to me, you keep writing, Gordon. We're impressed by the fact that you've written a topical song because we're always looking for topical songs, not just love songs, not just, we're not just looking for the, the heartthrob tunes. We, we've got an eye out for topical songs too. And if you do any more of this kind of work, call the secretary and come in and see us. That's what, exactly what I did. I wrote some more songs and a few months later, there, <laughs> there I was again. <laughs> so when you, when you wrote the hula hoop song, did you write the lyrics and then come up with a melody? Yeah, well, it's got a melody, sure. No, 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 I know I understand that, but I, what did you have the lyrics first and then figure out a melody to go on top of the lyrics? No, I got out my, my guitar and I just wrote the darn thing. I was in grade 12. See, I, I went and got a guitar the first time. I was taking piano lessons at the time. It was a good thing I had a, a, a bit of a knowledge of the, of the keyboard, too. I'm not a pianist, but I do know the keyboard. And uh, I got, but I, for this particular day, I got out my guitar and I sat down with the guitar and I wrote that tune. I got, I got really creative. I, I, it didn't take long either. I said, maybe I can do this, but can I make everything different? So the next 15 or 18 songs I wrote, I, I, I tried to make every song completely different. And I only had five keys to work with, but still all the songs had to be different. So then, well, I said, no, there's different tempos. There's, uh, there's, a, there's about seven or eight different kind of modal directions in which I could go from at that point in time. I, I, could, I could go out from seven or eight different, it'd be travel, it could be love, it could be, I, I used to have all these things written down. What it could be about, about 15 things, war, relationships, uh, everything. You know, ships. I wrote a lot of uh, sea, sea shanties. A lot of them, there were five of them. Uh, I remembered the uh, Spring Hill mine disaster that occurred here in Canada uh, a long many years ago, and I, I wrote a lot of songs about miners and the, and the danger that was involved in, in mining. The way you write songs, has it changed over the years? Or is it still the same process for you, picking up a guitar or sitting down at the piano and... All I know is they're all they're, they're all different. That's how they're they're all different, and, and they're like snowflakes. And and it's the part that you know there there are some things that are similarity of approach. Like when, when I have a certain tuning that I use, uh, what I call F tuning, or one of my twelve strings, which I, I've produced about five tunes using that. But even though they're in the same key, they're all different. They're all completely different. There's the Canadian Railroad Trilogy, Early Morning Rain, uh, The Ringneck Loon. Those are my, my three favorite ones, and, and they're in the same key, but they're all completely different. So I, I try even to avoid uh, using the same structural uh, uh, way of going about it, you know. If, if, there's, if it's too similar, I try to make them all different. Do you keep notes of things that you overhear, and you write you write things down later, or... Do you sit down? Yeah, I wrote something down on my car contract one time, driving from uh, one of my best tunes. I was driving from Flagstaff to Phoenix one night at about one o'clock in the morning after a show with my bass player, and a sign flashed by, and it said "Carefree Highway." 
I wrote it down on the contract because there was nothing else to write on handy, and, and I left it in the damn glove compartment of the car. <laughs> Fortunately, it, it made such an impression on my mind that about five days later, when I actually started thinking about it, what was it? It was at Carefree Highway. Oh, Eureka. I have found it. I wrote that song in about 10 minutes. That's the way it goes. So, okay, so... W- with that, you've got you've got the title. I presume it, I presume you looked at it as a title. Then, what what's the process? Then, do you are you starting to imagine what does this what does Carefree Highway mean to you? Yeah, then then you start uh, uh, you go back to the, to the beginning. You don't uh, where, where, you, where your starting point is going to be, and and you start uh, thinking about well, what would this person be thinking about when they're out there in the road and homesick as hell, and I, I kind of know how that felt because I used to get that way. And uh, what are they going to think about first? They're going to think about their mo- their mom and dad, and and, and that gets a rolling right there. We're going to think about the how are the old folks doing, and and it, the whole thing develops into takes on a, its own momentum, and uh, you just carry it on through, and 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 then the title all of a sudden drops into the middle of the whole thing. Well, you're doing it. Uh, the, the title find, finds its own positioning uh, as you go along. I've had that happen lots of times. That was Sundown. Mm-hmm. And that was one of my best tunes. It had, had a title and nowhere to put it. And all of a sudden, boom, it just drops into the order. That's a song about, about uh, uh, slipping and sliding around. Sundown. You know, it's like slipping, slipping and sliding, you know, I, I like to call it. What what, do, what does that mean? What does that mean? Well, it, it means it, it's uh, that you, you're feeling you're feeling a little bit you feel a little jealousy, a little stroke of jealousy that your that your your girlfriend might be uh, might not be like like a hundred percent with you. I'd like to tell you that um, my brother, who's eight years older than me, had a couple of your records back when I was a kid, and Sundown was the first song of yours that I would ask him to play on repeat over and over again. I must have been 10, 8, 9, 10, and just... Isn't that amazing? And I just... And it was one of the... You know how kids are when they hear something that they like. They want to hear it over and over and over again. And that's what Sundown was for me. And then Cotton Ginny was the second one. Well, really, you know, I'll get to that one in a minute. But, but you know, it, it's about... Uh, rubbing another man's rhubarb. <laughs> it's about, it, as, as Jack Nicholson so well put in one of his movies, it's, it's about something, don't, don't rub my rhubarb kind of a tune. Mm-hmm. The other one uh, that you just mentioned, we, we've had to be careful with it, with that one now because it, it, it deals with the I've had to take it out of my show because I don't want to be accused of being a racist. And that was one of my best tunes. No, you'll have to excuse my ignorance. I mean, you know what? I, I sing songs, but rare, but I have a hard time paying attention to what they, what they actually mean. So what was it that might be racist about Cotton Jenny? Well, if, if you're talking about Cotton Jenny, you're, you're talking about people picking cotton. Oh, okay. uh, that's the last thing that you want to, you know. If you got you got to be uh, be careful of what you what of what you say these days in a song or whatever it is. 
I, I've had experiences too where where I where, where I've, I've noticed that that it, it's it's not a good idea to plan. Obviously, as a little kid, I didn't pick up on that at all. I just thought it was. I, know. I just thought it was a sweet, actually sexy song. <laughs> I know, and that's the, that's the thing. You see, that's what it's meant to be. Yeah. That's what it was always meant to be. Okay, at least I got at least I got that part of it right as a kid. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So can we can we talk? If you don't mind, I'd like to talk about if you could read my mind because I, I think that, that when you talk about being able to write songs and perform songs that relate, you know that are relatable for people and make sense to them. I mean, this song obviously touches a lot of people because I think that you say things in this song that people just don't know how to say. They don't know how to put these kinds of words together to say the kinds of things and feel the kinds of things that you feel in this song. And I understand that this was a song that you wrote when things weren't going well with your wife at the time. And I'm just wondering for you, how did it begin? Well, I was uh, I was leaving uh, leaving the house and going to an empty house uh, to work. Uh, and one afternoon, I was I was working in this empty house, uh, and, and in the middle of uh, I guess you could call it a uh, an emotional trauma. And uh, all of a sudden, out popped that tune, and and it came so easily, and it only took a couple of hours to to do it. And, and it went on the record, and nobody knew what it was going to that it was even going to emerge. The, it, it came it, it came out as a single after the record had been out for about five months and, and stalled. It was already, the record was already. Already had, had gotten an anchor. I mean, my, my, my album had, uh, had gotten an anchor by that point. That's what they call it when it gets up to number 40 and stops. And uh, we thought the record was, we were getting ready for number two. When all of a sudden it got added at a top 40 station in Seattle, Washington. And all of a sudden there it was. Next it got added in San Francisco. The record company got me on an airplane. They flew me out to the West Coast to uh, to do interviews. And it started, they started playing KNX in, in L.A. It was a total surprise to everyone. Well, when when you say when you say you were able to write the song in just a couple of hours, I mean, there's just there's just. Well, some of them take days. Some of them never get. Sometimes you're working a song for weeks. Honest to God, the, I, I'm telling you, the, the ones that happen quickly are, are really far in the minority. But mm-hmm. some of the ones that the, the really the best ones are written really spontaneously in a very little time. I I understand. What my question here is, I there the words for this for if you could read my mind are so perfect for the sentiment. Yeah, I don't know how I found that stuff. It was just so good, and there and there it was. And I. I I picked it out of the air, and there it was, and, and probably some of the business about the wishing well and stuff like that. You know, it, lots of people talked about that stuff in songs, mm-hmm. and then bringing the movie aspect into it, the idea of actors acting. I've done I've done that in some of my other tunes. I've, I've envisioned the act, actors mm-hmm. acting out these tunes. It's it's really weird the way it goes. Was there was there much rewriting that you had to do as you were putting this together? 
Now that one was really, really just about done. Done when I when I got done with it. I had a number of them like that. That, that right back at the beginning when I first came under con- serious contract, mm-hmm. like when I got signed by uh, the Whitmark Publishers uh, in New York. I mean, I, the pressure was then on. I had a record deal too, and having the record deal and the publishing deal uh, made me get my nose to the grindstone and. Uh, I sat right down and got to work on this stuff. You see, we needed the material. Mm. We needed the songs. I, I had a whole repertoire of tunes by other people. I, I wanted to I, I wanted to write my own songs, though. I wanted to be like Bob Dylan. I wanted to write my own my own tunes. So how do you how do you then feel when someone like Bob Dylan tells the world how much they admire you as a songwriter? Well, he's probably just have, having a little tongue-in-cheek problem. <laughs> I, I was part, I, I was part party central for, for for a lot of, of him and a lot of his people back here in Toronto back in the seventies when they were in town, which was quite often. And the big deal too in '75, the uh, yeah, like the Rolling Thunder review we had, we had we had a big party here at my house in Toronto. Rolling Thunder review, that stuff like that. It was great. it was a great time. Yeah, no, uh, if you can read my mind, or I, I don't know, I you know it, it. I was in an empty house and I was going through some kind of trauma, and uh, all of a sudden there was a song. So are you? Do you get self conscious at all about showing a song like this to your you know to your wife? No, 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 I don't. It, it's a. Uh, it's not an offensive tune, mm-hmm. uh, you know. Not like for love and me. I would never write another one like that. Mm-hmm. But no, it's it's a, a, an innocent song. It's, uh, it doesn't uh, have anything in it that's uh, it's offensive. And then uh, you know, I try to avoid that. I learned to do that very early. Okay, but there there is a line, and if you could read my mind, where you say the feelings that you lack. Well, that should have been we. And my daughter, uh, my daughter made me change that for on stage. And I did that quite promptly. I saw it's a two-way street, Daddy. Daddy, you know, it's a two-way, it's a a two-way street. And I said, you know, you're right. Mm -hmm. And so I always do it on, on, uh, when I do it on stage, it's it's mutual. Mm -hmm. The feelings that we lack. Mm -hmm. How handy it was. To get myself out of that one. <laughs> so okay, the wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald. Yeah. So that started. That started with a newspaper article, right? It started with uh, hearing about it on television, mm-hmm. and, and three hours after it happened, and uh, I was working. Well, I was alone again. I was in a different, a different empty house. I used to get find empty houses that were standing for sale. And, and take my little table, my little chair and my table in there and go and write tunes in, 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 in houses that uh, were standing empty. And I, w- I was in another empty house. And uh, it was a, a very windy night. And I went down for, at a coffee set up, went down for a coffee and it was on television. This, this huge ship had just sunk on, on Lake Superior. And that was what got my engine started and writing a song about that because I had some chords and I had a melody 
that I was already trying to find something for. I was trying to find a lyric. For all, all I had was the chord and the melody and no lyric, and, and that became the lyric. I added that in the mix and I worked on it, and, and it took me a couple of weeks. I worked on it all through the month of January. I knew that we were going in the studio. I wanted to, I knew it was good enough to go down. I knew it was good enough to be on the record. I knew it. I didn't know how long it was going to be. Later on, I went down to, as, as the months went by, or, or the, the next week, I saw an article in, in the, one of the news news magazines. So I went, uh, c- carried on in my entrepreneurial way to the uh, newspaper office of the Toronto Telegram and got the back copies because we had no computers yet at this point or anything like that to get the back copies and notice that they spelt the name Edmund wrong. They spelled with an O. And I said, that's it. I'm writing it. That's it. I'm going home. I'm going to write this. And I went home and I got started and I wrote it because they spelt the name wrong in the the headline. doesn't take much to set you off. (laughs) I said, a whole lot of people are going to are going to hear this so I better do it right I better do it right and I I made sure uh, there was some some conjecture I will admit uh, in the fourth verse you know, with the old cook and stuff like that and the ash covers falling down and everything and I answered for that later but the ladies committee in Madison, Wisconsin they didn't like that line because their boys were on duty their boys were on duty when the hatch covers caved in supposedly, and they didn't like hearing it in concert. And I, so I rewrote that line, and from that day on, I sung the song another thousand times, and I did the new line. The new line was, at 7 p.m. it grew dark, it was then, I said, fellas, it's been good to know you. And also rated Woody Guthrie, so long it's been good to know you, by Woody Guthrie. Mm. And they're all in one line. I got Woody Guthrie into it, and I changed the line got the hatch covers out of it. And whenever I played it in the Great Lakes area from that point on, the ladies' committee came. They were so happy that their sons were not being blamed for not looking after the hatch covers. And that's how serious it got. I I heard it getting mentioned on a talk show one night that it was not the hatch covers that, that caused the ship to sink. It was proven scientifically that it was not the hatch covers that caused the Edmund Fitzgerald. Musically, how much did the band bring to that song? Once you got they brought the wind and the water. My steel player and my guitar, my two brilliant guys, wonderful guys, Pee Wee Charles, Terry Clements, they, got the, they brought the wind and the water into it with what they played. They brought the storm into it. Just a, just a couple more things I want to talk about. I know that the songs on Solo were songs that you found on a CD. How many years ago was that? That was in uh, around 98, right at the turn, 1999, right at the end of the century, 1999. Uh, I did not know that they existed. And of of the 10 songs that are on there, one of them is is done in, uh, was done right from from square one, and that was Easy Flow. And I wrote that for my lovely wife, Kim, who, who is my wife now. The others were I, I, are, are a group of demos, mm-hmm. and all, all it is there is guitar and vocal. 
And it was done during a time before there, I had any health issues. My playing was really, my playing was good. I was, I was singing better than I ever did. When I played it for Warner Brothers, they said, leave it be, or we're not going to see it for another two years. Because I was, I was getting ready to rewrite the whole thing and, and, and do the orchestration and teach it to my band and, and record it and do everything. And then all of a sudden, boom, in comes the, the pandemic. So it, it, it wound up coming out right, you know, just after the, the, the plague came down upon us all. So had you, had you started performing any of the songs off of this record? If we ever get back to work, you see, we've been sent back by about 95 shows here. Mm-hmm. And, and so, so we're, everything keeps getting rolled ahead because we're all still prepared to, to do this if, it, if, it, if it's going to happen. I will teach them uh, easy flow. We will do easy flow. Mm-hmm. Or no, no, I'm talking about about uh, oh so sweet is the, the single that they chose. We, we, we will. Uh, I'll teach them that one. Mm-hmm. It'll be nice. It'll be nice with an arrangement. It'll be nice orchestrated. And I will pick out a couple of the other. I'm not going to be like like out there like uh, running with a, so- a solo tour. Mm-hmm. We're all going to be there. We're going to do the show. I'll, I'll get a couple of tunes off the, off the new record. It'll be fun. The song that resonated with me the most on the record was Just a Little Bit. Yeah, I know. That, that's, it's fun. It's, it's a lot of fun. And I you, honestly, I thought I would love to hear a punk rock band play this song. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I could do that one. It's, a, it's an easy one to play, too. It, it's, uh, I, can, I can really get to get on, on rock and roll time with that one. I don't know if I can tell. How many of these songs are you on the 12 string? Probably three or four of them. Okay. The rhythm tunes, yeah, they're all 12 string. Mm-hmm. No, because you, you're right. Your, your, finger, your finger picking is fantastic on this record. Yeah, I, I was, see, I would never, if it was good that then, I don't, I don't know if I could do it that way now. There, there was some, I can still do it. But with that kind of attack and everything, that was before there were there were any health issues involved. Mm-hmm. My health issues didn't start till 2002. Mm-hmm. And I had one that knocked me out for two and a half years. I remember so, that. I remember that very well. Yeah. They didn't say anything about that in the documentary at all. Mm-hmm. Are you writing songs these days? No, I'm, I'm practicing and, and, and keeping my chops up. And, and going out and walking. Remember, I'm not getting any younger. I'm damn near 82 years old. Uh, I, I This was my 21st album. I'm walking and I'm practicing because we think that we're going to get we're going to get back out there. We all hope so. We all hope. Well, we- everybody does. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, I, I'm thinking right now of streaming one out because I have an opportunity to stream one right right around the world right now if I want to do it. And uh, I'm just considering that right now. With the band? Yeah, sure. Every, uh, everybody. If you want to find out more about the life of Gordon Lightfoot, I highly recommend Nicholas Jennings' excellent biography simply called Lightfoot. There's also a great documentary film you should watch called Gordon Lightfoot, If You Could Read My Mind. For updated news and tour information, please check out gordonlightfoot.com. If you'd like to comment on this episode have suggestions for future episodes, or just want to say hi, please email the creationistpodcast at gmail.com 
And please don't forget to subscribe and rate us on your favorite podcast platform. And follow us on Facebook and Instagram. The Creationist is mastered in post-production by Paul Farron. I'm Steve Waxman, and I created this podcast. 